0: Triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom, with special guest and author Colin Saunders. Episode 53 of the live edition of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast where we explore the unexplained and mysterious phenomena that have occurred throughout the state of Michigan and beyond.
1: From UFO sightings to ghostly encounters, we delve deep into the stories, the evidence, and the theories behind these strange
0: events. We are your hosts. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. We are an educator duo that after an encounter with a triangular UFO in 2018 in Michigan, we decided to investigate UFOs and the paranormal. In this podcast, we will be speaking with eyewitnesses, experts, and researchers to uncover the truth about some of the most intriguing cases of paranormal activity in and around Michigan.
1: Our goal is not to convince anyone of the existence of these phenomena, but rather to provide a platform for discussion and exploration. So, buckle up and join us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole.
0: On an escalator.
1: All right. Greetings, everybody, on this cold, cloudy day here in Michigan. It is April 22nd, 2023, at the time of this recording, and we are currently live right now on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. So after the live show, we will be releasing this on all major podcasting platforms shortly afterwards. So, Michelle, why don't you jump in here and join me? I am in. Hey everybody, look at who I found. She wasn't here for the hearings, but she was now here and it has appeared. So
0: now I was at
1: work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, somebody didn't take any personal time to watch the nothing burger of a uh UFO hearing. So you know
0: I, t- I tend not to take days. Very disappointing. So Michelle, what do we got going on? Uh well, we have a special guest with us today. From Across the Pond in the UK, Colin Saunders. Awesome. So, but one of the things
1: we want to do is first say hi to the people we've got going in chat right now.
0: Oh, we've got Jeanette, we've got Samo, we've got Hellfire joining us. So, yeah, welcome everybody. And uh, so to everybody who will
1: be watching or listening to this later, thank you for checking out the show. For those of you in chat, as always, if you have some questions for Colin, please put them in all caps and Michelle will try her best to get to your question. However, I will put this out there due to the nature of Michelle's me and Michelle's sighting in 2018 of a black triangle. We're going to have an awful lot to talk about with Colin. So uh, it's not that we don't like your questions or uh, we don't love you, but we got a lot of questions and we want to talk a lot with uh, Colin ourselves. So we'll do
0: our best that we can. So, and as always, this live podcast happens because of you, the viewers and listeners of the show and your amazing support. If you want to help support the podcast, the links are below in the show description with our PayPal, Patreon and our link tree that will take you to other ways to support the podcast, including our merch store. So, but one of the best ways you can support our show is to like, share, and subscribe on YouTube. The more subscribers and support we have, the more incredible content that we can bring to you.
1: Yep. So talking about our supporters and people that are helping out the podcast, I just want to give a quick couple shout outs to Hava H once again for her continued support. And then also our Patreon members, Tabin R and Cheryl G., But um, one thing I do want to say is that we do have uh, PayPals that come through at times, usually during the live show. So if we don't mention you during the shout out section, just know that we mentioned you during the live. So um, this goes out to like Ghost Dragon and uh, other people that have sent us um, PayPal. So thank you very much. And we really appreciate your continued support. So, Michelle. I think we need to just get into this. What do you think? I think we're ready to bring Colin on. All right. So let's go ahead and do this. Let me get the nice little set up here. And ladies and gentlemen, oh, and welcome to Zen in chat from the UK. But let's go ahead and bring on Colin Sanders. Colin. Hello there.
2: Hello, Wayne and Michelle. Good afternoon or good morning, I think it is over there. (laughs)
1: Well, it's morning for us, afternoon for you, but we are so happy you could join us. And I have been dying to find somebody who is a researcher that would come on the show and talk about these triangles because of obviously the, um, you know, the experience that Michelle and I had that started this whole thing for us, Um, you know, whether you know a little bit about our background or not we're both educators i'm a science teacher michelle is an english teacher and we saw one of these things at 2 30 in the morning on march 9th of 2018 while we were driving home totally sober and it was hovering above the road and we can get more into the details of our um encounter but going through your book it's like everything i bought the audio book so I'm listening and following along with the text. Everything I'm hearing sounds so similar to what we went through. And um, I just got to say, it it's really amazing. But Michelle and I have a set of questions that we want to get out there for our listeners and watchers. So, Michelle, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, let's get Colin out there and familiar with people.
0: Um, Absolutely. For those people out there not familiar with you, can you give the audience a little bit about your background and what inspired you to research and write about triangular UFOs specifically?
2: Yes, yes. And, you know, I always find it a bit strange when people call me a researcher or an author. I have written a book, I know, and I have done research, but basically I'm just an ordinary guy who had an extraordinary experience. Because obviously, the, the reason for writing the book was because of my own encounter with my family with a, a triangle. Um, my, a brief history of my working career was basically I've worked in the aviation industry. I've worked in Germany, Airbus. Uh, I've worked in Sweden for Saab Aerospace. Um, I worked in New Zealand as well for 18 months in refrigeration, always as a draftsman, always drawing. That's all I've done all of my life is is draw for a living draw 64 i didn't fall retirement but i'm still drafting i'm still drawing away within the uh, embroidery industry and um, one of the jobs i had along the way was working offshore for well working onshore for chevron petroleum but i did have a couple of offshore trips and the thing about that when you you're doing drawings of an installation you've got to make sure you've got it all right every single piece because when you get back to the office back to the drawing office you've got to draw what you' seen and if you just like helicopter go back out to the platform and look at what you've forgotten. So that turned out to be great training for when I had the actual encounter with the UFO. Um eventually after all of my travel and I came back to live in the UK when my daughter was born and at the point of the encounter I was I'd started my own business and I was working from home. This turned out to be a godsend to the encounter. I could be on more about the UFO I started doing drawings and and building models. Um, So that's basically a quick resume of my working career. So from there, unless you've got any questions, I'll go into the actual sighting of the triangle.
1: Yeah, go ahead, because um, I have some other questions that, that will kind of feed off of your sighting of your triangle and what happened there. So please continue.
2: Okay, so basically what happened, it was the 31st of March 1999, that was my mother-in-law's birthday that day, she was 72 years old and went out for a bar meal to a public house in the countryside. Now there were two vehicles, it was um, my wife was driving the first car, we got a Ford Fiesta and we picked up my mother-in-law and my, my daughter and myself was in the car with my wife, uh, with my wife driving. In the second vehicle was my brother-in-law, who lived next door to me, mother-in-law. He had a range, range partner, so he got two of his um, of her grandparents staying over. And so the two vehicles, we went off to the public house called the White Lion in the little village of Paleton. So when we come to leave the pub, it was 50 pm I remember we got into the car, my wife was driving and my mother-in-law was sitting in the passenger seat next to her and me and my daughter were in the back of the car. I turned round and I remember seeing the Range Rover. They were struggling to get the old lady into the Range Rover because it's quite a high step and she wasn't very agile. So we drove off ahead, assuming they were gonna catch us up on the way. So we are in a remote village and we're going through the countryside. There's no street lights and we're coming up to a major road called the Foss Way. I say a major road, but there's still lots a lost Way. It's an old Roman road And that goes up and joins another road called the Watland Street, which is also a a Roman road. Apparently, Roman roads are built on ley lines because I know some people are interested in in ley lines. So as we approached the Foss Way, somebody actually said, oh, we're turning onto the Foss now. And my daughter said, oh, there's been talk of headless horsemen down here. And we all laughed and joked and said, oh, we'll keep our (laughs) eyes open for him. And as soon as we turned the corner onto the Foss Way, there were some lights in front of us a half a mile away hovering by the side of the road and it the incredible lights you'd ever seen it was mainly red with a bit of white mixed in and they were they were just flashing away and it was just the most incredible laser show that you've ever seen like like a fireworks display but and we we're going what on earth is that like there's no lights on the way down we're going up and down this road for years there's no pylons with lights on the top and there's no uh, aircraft that would be that low, and uh, helicopters wouldn't have that amount of lights. And we drove to them. I would say the lights would be 100 feet away from us to the side, just hovering over this this field. So I always use this analogy. A friend of mine has got a 70-foot narrowboat that I've steered around the Ashby Canal. So when I say 100 feet, I mean 100 feet. You could have hit it with a cricket ball. It was that close. But... Yeah. The thing was, it was only lights at this point. There was no triangle. There was just lights. There were, At the back, there was four big red lights in the line, but they were tilted at an angle to the earth of about 30 degrees. They weren't level with the earth. And um, there was a smaller red light off to one side as well. And, um, the, and the white man, and I stared at one of the big red lights at the back, the fourth one, the one that was highest up on the angle, and it seemed to have like a crisscross effect in it. Um, it, it looked like an etching of um, say like a traffic light, light but you could tell it wasn't etched into the material, it was like an effect of the wave that was coming out of the um, red light it was like um, a laser beam it got this crisscross effect in it something along the lines of Newton's law of ring interference, I think that's the sort of thing that it was given and it was given this grid pattern and it's whilst I was staring at this grid pattern and this big red light that the sky suddenly started to ripple around the lights and that was the time i thought to myself my god there's something there it's not just lights there's an object that's that was invisible around the lights and as soon as i thought that it became a solid it decloaked it was just like star trek it decloaked in front of us and became this solid metallic object now the rear end was um we were looking at the rear end of the object now the craft was that low to the ground that the rear end stayed where it was and the nose floated up in the air if it had turned from the middle of that it, it would have struck the ground it was that low so the rear end that was closest to the car stayed where it was and the nose came up in the air and the machine floated up because submarine underwater so what that did then was to give us a view of the top of the craft and not many people get to see the top of these triangles most people get to see the bottom of them as they come overhead but we were looking at the top of the craft Prior to say I had UFOs, I wasn't involved in UFOs, I wasn't in any UFO groups. So, got look down on the surface. It looked like a, a lake at night that's catching a moon moonlight. It's got waves on it and it's it's whipping up and down. But on top of that liquid was these girders, these beams, silver beams that were interlocking, like an old-fashioned maze remember that is, this thing aliens. the second one was abductions must take place and the third one was this explains mysteries that we've had in history I knew all of that straight away as this thing rose up in front of us now this is the nuts and bolts of the story I'm talking about at the moment and for the first 20 years of the experience I talked about the nuts and bolts something peculiar took place that night as well which we'll come back to in a little while if we don't mind i'll just save that for a little bit later on yeah but the craft when the craft rose up in front of us my wife who was we'd stopped the car but my wife the driver who's a very sensible person decides to put a hazard flashed, flashed lights on she drives forward and reverses into a gateway now the problem with that is as she drove forward there was a large bed. we couldn't see the craft anymore so when she was like, it's going to go, it's going to go now. So she reversed into the gateway. We jumped out. Sure enough, it had gone. And there was no smell of any aviation fuels, nothing like that at all. But in the distance, there was a large craft with four big red lights on the rear of it. So I assumed at the time, because I knew nothing about triangles, that it was the same craft. And it had somehow changed its size and went into this massive football pitch-sized craft that was sil- silently floating away from us going away from us and um, so so we stood there and there were no traffic no airplanes there were nothing it was quiet you could hear a pin drop so that that was the end of the sighting. so we we got back in the car i must admit at the time me and my mother-in-law we were really excited we would have got on board no doubt about it if we'd have got the chance but wife and daughter they, they were a little bit more concerned um so we got back in the car and drove home talking about what we'd seen And we took my mother in law back home. And strangely enough, there's the Range Rover. It's got back before us. But not only that, everybody's out and they're inside having a cup of tea. And that that seemed very strange how they did that and didn't see the UFO. They must have been right behind us. So we're not sure how that could possibly when we was in the gate where they come rushing past us. But if that had been the case, they would have seen the UFO just before it disappeared. So that was a bit of an enigma on the evening. So basically, that, that was the sighting. It didn't last that, that long, but it was long enough for me to get a lot of information about the manufacture of the craft, the way it had been built and put together. So the first thing I did when I got home that night, after we dropped the mother-in-law off, as soon as I got back, I started drawing pictures of the craft and the beams on the surface and the liquid surface, and my daughter did the same. Now, unfortunately, my wife, she didn't see the craft at all. We should all the lights because she was concentrating on the road. And the mother-in-law didn't do any drawings, but she described it as a, a triangle with m- metal girders on the surface that she, call, she called them. So, strange enough, the next day was April the first, and I'm trying to tell everybody that we've seen a UFO. And although it was April the first, April it still Fool's went Day, it was yeah, April Fool's Day. The next day, <laughs> and I'm trying to tell everybody, but. um People were going well with. Nobody really poo-pooed the idea. Nobody had a go at me and said you're crazy. A lot of people went with. It. A lot of people actually said because it's you, we believe you. So I must have some sort of I, I, I don't know uh, legitimacy about me. I think it's because of my history of being involved with the aircraft industry and always being technical and always being a draftsman. Right. You know, all of those things sort of came together that night when we when we saw the craft. Right. So from there, what what I did. After drawing the the craft on Caldor, I got some lovely sketches of it. I printed those off and then built some paper models. And I met a, um, well, I found a UFO magazine and they put me in touch with a guy in England called Omar Fowler. Now, he specialised in triangular UFOs and he sent me some information through. Now, we never saw the bottom of the craft. We only saw the rear end and the top surface. Now he sent- So just real
1: quick, so if I um, – I'm going to share this picture that I made the thumbnail out of. So this is what you're talking about, that you saw the rear yes. and the top, the but you saw top. those those interlocking like beams on there, beams, correct?
2: That's right. And also you can see the liquid surface. We've got the effect on this graphic. And what you'll also notice on the bottom two wingtips is vaporization, condensation, fluffy white clouds appearing now i was staring at this one on the left hand side as i'm looking the one that's for highest up that's the one i was staring at yeah and when the craft materialized i noticed that fluffy white cloud appearing on the corner now there was also another red light off to one side a smaller light and when the craft first materialized i could see like the shape of a diamond but when I built the craft, it didn't seem right to build a diamond-shaped rear end, so I built it with a flat bottom. Now, what I found was when I was playing with the craft, and if I tilted the nose down slightly so the nose came just came into view, it would give you the silhouette of a diamond. And the little red light I could see off to one side was, in fact, the small red light on the nose of the craft. It's a bit difficult to explain without... Shown it so, for instance, this is one of my models. If I tip the nose down slightly, you can then see a silhouette of a of a diamond, and you can also get this oh, yeah. like the front comes into view. We'll come to this model in a, a little while. Yeah, and so
1: it, yeah, it would look like a diamond with the the nose kind of pointing it it down the so, ground.
2: Yeah, I'd say we didn't see the bottom, but we we glimpsed the underneath without realizing what we was looking at at the time. Now, the magazine that uh, Omar Fowler sent to me one of his journals had got a sighting from Belgium on the, in the 1990s where a triangle had flown over this young guy's head in a town called Stockis in Belgium, and he did a sketch. And amazingly enough, underneath the bottom of the triangle that he sketched were these interlocking beams. And now I thought that's too much of a coincidence for it not to be either the same craft that I've seen or same series of craft. So what I did, I... T- put the sight at the top the bottom and the rear, we used the Belgium sighting so on the audio you won't see this but those on YouTube you see this is the, the bottom this is from Belgium we never saw the bottom so the bottom may well have been flat for we know but I believe it was going to be like this because that's very similar obviously to the beams on the surface that we saw right so using those it allowed me to build a model The first model i built hey colin
1: i I made it one second can you hold up the back of that model one more time and i want michelle
2: to i want michelle to
1: chime in here
2: so okay there we go it was at 30 degrees to the earth like that it wasn't flat to the earth when it reared up you could see the liquid surface which we tried to replicate on this craft and also then the, the interlocking beams. But if I was to tilt the notes down slightly, whoop, you'll get the shape of a diamond. the diamond into shape, yeah. And this little well, red light at the front here will also come into view. And that's a little red light we could see off to one side when, when we first came upon the craft.
1: Okay, um, so Michelle saw the back of our craft. I was driving. She was the passenger. And I want her to tell you what she saw, which is quite amazing I
0: now see on the back on it was either the side or the back I saw two red rectangular lights so like we would normally see them in a car you know moving along once it hits its brake lights you know we saw or I saw the 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 red lights at the back underneath there were only three lights that we had witnessed Uh Um, I did not see the the center one. It was only the, the white lights that were underneath mm-hmm. on each of the points. Um, it never pivoted where we could see the top of it, but we were able to see kind of like a cloak or skin um, underneath. So where it would just absorb any light that was coming from the ground surface with the street lights that time of night. Um, so more like, more like kind of your, the
1: picture that you have on your book here is kind of what we saw. And I was the one, because I was driving, the The craft was off my left-hand side. And I, when I was driving, I was looking up at it. And um, when we got pretty much right underneath it, I looked up and what it looked like to me was a heat mirage coming off of blacktop. That's the but these lights here in the corners were super bright white lights, and there was nothing in the center, and I couldn't Uh make out any detail because of this weird wavering effect. And maybe that's the cloaking thing, or what it was doing to try to hide or show itself, or whatever. But there was no center light, which you know, so many people talk about the center light and. we didn't see it and then i continued on they do yeah
2: and often like people will say if they do see a line, it's not always white sometimes it can be red and the yeah. red lights in the corners can be white as well it can be reversed and um also in the book there are some um witnesses who talk about uh rectangular lights on the on craft so in fact there's 130 Different reports in the book, and not two of them are exactly the same. But they're all slightly different from each other, which I think is quite quite an important thing to note. Exactly. Um, so to get back to the models, I, I built my first model uh, out of some plywood and a bit of dowling, and um, I had that in my works van. That was the last time I seen it. Now my van got broken into on my driveway of the house, and the stereo cassette player was stolen from it this is back in the 90s but even then you know a cassette player was old-fashioned I can't see why somebody would want to break in and steal it I (laughs) took my vehicle to uh, my friend to get it repaired and he said it had been professionally broken into and he couldn't understand why somebody with them skills would steal an old cassette player but funnily enough I never did find that model again and I know the last time I had it it was in the van so whoever took the cassette player also took my first model that I built of the UFO which seemed a bit odd i don't know why anybody would take that i've made because they wouldn't even know what it was one assumes so that led me to build in a the second model the mark ii but this time i built it again with plywood and uh, doweling but decided to buy some flashing leds and a battery pack and this is the first model that i made for those who can see it and um, it still works There's the lights flashing away on the rear three lights underneath now this was a great model uh, i did take it on the television once even in the uk and talk to people about it but i couldn't get yeah. the liquid surface and i couldn't get the raised beams on the surface but nonetheless it was a pretty good model to to show people what we'd seen i mean having a model makes it far more tangible than just talking about it so what happened next was a friend of mine um john mills came to me one day and said so he bought a 3D printer and he was starting to play around with it. And he wanted to, he said he wanted to print my UFO for me. Went, Great. He put the beams on the surface. <laughs> so this was his first attempt. So this is a little small handheld UFO triangle. And on this one, we've actually got the beams on the surface raised off in 3D, as you can see there. Yep. And the central white core at the top and bottom we joined onto. Uh, lights all over it. So. John spent quite a bit of time getting this ready and he did it all free of charge for me, which was great. So as a reward, I said to him, because I still wanted a model with silver beams and the actual fluid surface. We hadn't quite, we hadn't achieved it, although this model was good. So what I just, I said to John, if I sell some of these models for you and sell enough, would you um, make me a large version? And he agreed. So we started selling these on eBay. Now, uh, A friend of mine in Canada did some graphics for me. He's got a a fantastic website. Um, If you buy the book, you'll see his website's in the book. And um, I sent John in that direction to have a look at the images that the guy produced of my model. And that's what we've been looking at here on the screen today, actually. These have come from Canada, the one we were looking at earlier with the lights at at the back. Um, John liked it so much that on the website, there was um, a flying saucer, which you can see behind me. So he decided to manufacture one of those and also a cylinder. So I sold these on eBay. I didn't make any money. In fact, it cost me a pound or so myself, by the time the eBay took the commission and we got the postage and packaging, but all the money I gave to John and eventually he made this little beauty for me. So this is the, the final version. Now on this one, we, you can see we've got the silver beams raised off the surface. You can actually see the liquid surface, the effect of the liquid on the surface. Uh, you can see how the top and bottom are rolled over like a hovercraft skin to this central white core and the beams on the surface, and of course the lights, it all lights up. And it was with this model I decided that because John had done that, I would take it out and go to a UFO conference and do a presentation. Um, so I went to the Outer Limits magazine conference here in the UK, uh, this is last year at Hull. And I met a couple of guys there, the Kinsella twins, and I was chatting away to them and. Ronnie says uh, that Philip says why don't you um, write a book I thought I thought about writing a book but not until I retired and with that impetus I decided well I'm going to write a book so I came back and started straight away writing the book Uh, I put my own site in him which is what I really wanted to talk about but there's not enough to fill a book Along the way, I, I've done some newspaper articles here in my own town of Hinckley in Leicestershire. And from that, I asked people to get in touch with me. And there were quite a lot of people locally. So I put there and started to build a network of people. Now, so over the last 20 years, 24 years, because I've been on Facebook quite a lot and been to different conferences, A lot of people have sent me information along the way um so i've collected up all the messages all the emails and started pulling all of those in to create the book and i decided to write the book purely about um triangles and triangles of the united kingdom because that's what i was primarily interested in and so that that's what happened i I wrote the book i got a lot of information from people the community has been really good in providing um Di- people's different experiences and like i said i've got over 130 different sightings in the book and that's quite phenomenal i've learned quite a bit from the book myself as well along the way i can touch on some of those things as, as well as we, um, we're we chatting
1: well uh, so, one of the one of the questions i did want to ask you is what challenges did you face in researching and writing about these sightings and then how did you address them
2: um, t- to be honest, everybody was really positive about writing, book. I've never had so much help from the community as I have in, in writing this book. There was nothing getting in the way at all. Everybody was more than happy to send me uh, their reports in. So in a way, it was not easy, but it wasn't difficult to get all the information together. And it was quite enlightening to see how many people wanted to talk to me as well so it's been sort of like um self-propelling if you like in the book it's, it's something i'm very proud of doing I, mean, I couldn't have done it without the community without people helping me and i'm amazed i've actually <laughs> written a book so i don't <laughs> class myself as an author i've got no plans to write another one at the moment
1: <laughs> so how do sightings of throughout your research here how do sightings of triangular ufos compared to other types of ufo sightings in it You can even be specific to the the United Kingdom if you want. Um, And what I mean by that is like in terms of frequency and even credibility, how would you stack up these sightings?
2: Yeah, obviously, I'm I'm going to be biased on that because it's Mm -hmm. triangles that I've always been interested in. So anything about triangles on the Internet, I have a look at and I join triangle groups. Anything to do with triangles. I've had a look at. Now, if I'd have seen a flying saucer that night, then I guess I would be a the saucer um, route. And the same, same as if I'd have seen an angel, then I'd probably be religious now, but I'm not. I've, I've seen a, an extraterrestrial spacecraft. Um So one of the things we need to touch on, which is a bit on the paranormal side of this. Now, I mm-hmm. assume that you've had, maybe more than one site and then maybe some paranormal experiences as well. I'm hoping so. (laughs) Yeah, but it was, because I I had some
1: weird paranormal things go on, but it was way before any UFO sighting, which involved like um, after my mother had passed away and um, seeing some weird shadow people, but this was, Man, it had to be 25 years before the UFO sighting that we had. But go ahead. uh, We'll jump in
2: here. Perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Perfect. Now, to (laughs) so for the first 20 years, I talked about the nuts and bolts. Then I started to open up about some of the weird stuff. Now, it's not going to sound that dramatic, but it's had a great impact on me. Let's go back to the night, to the 31st of March, 1999. We're sitting in the car and the craft floats up in front of us. The nose floats up like a submarine underwater. I get the three thoughts about aliens, abductions and history. But then, strangest thing, it was just like somebody got a pair of binoculars and put them in front of my eyes like that. Because all of a sudden, I could see the surface close up. I could see the, the, the beams interlocking. That was one view. Then the next view was the nose close-up of the nose and the and I I got a feeling well it would be the front nose at the top and the way it was manufactured was incredible I mean it was so spherical and so beautiful and smooth I remember thinking it was just an incredible bit of engineering then there was a third view which was the central white core of the craft which is here that's it you can see the central white core of the craft the top and the bottom gray parts of the craft were joined onto this central white core and they were rolled over like a hovercraft skin or like pie on the edge of a pastry but the thing was there was no nuts and bolts there were no rivets there were no welding no seams no nothing the way it had been put together was incredible and then I remember saying stop stop I want to get out I want to get on board like with my mother-in-law she wanted to get on board and that's when my wife pulled forward and blocked the view so the next day after this experience I'm thinking about these it took a while for me to sort of figure out that I'd seen such close-up images. So I decided then that I'd had an out-of-body experience. I was thinking, I must, must have got close to the craft. Maybe I got so excited during the course of it, I've had an out-of-body experience. And that's how I managed to get close to the craft and see the details. Now, without the close images, I would not have been able to build such an accurate craft because from the angle that we saw the craft we never saw the central white core i only saw that from close viewing so (laughs) i know it sounds crazy so it 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 will make sense as i go along so i tried to have out of body experiences again i got books out of the library but I, i didn't seem to be able to do it and then um we used to have some fantastic conferences in england with a guy called Graham Birdsall and uh, Russell Callahan, They used to organise conferences in Leeds. They used to run a UFO magazine here, but unfortunately Graham passed away mm-hmm. and the, the UFO magazine and the conferences went with him. But in the early days, I went to all those conferences and I met people like Stanton Freeman and uh, Dr. Roger Lear, uh, Stephen Greer, but I also met, more importantly, the late Bud Hopkins, and I managed to speak with Bud for about 30 seconds. There was a queue of people waiting to see him. <laughs> I got to Bud and I said, Bud, I've had this close encounter with the Triangle, me and my family, it reared up in front of us, and then had an out-of-body experience, and we've got these three close images of the craft. And he goes, no, no, he says, that, that, that wasn't an out-of-body experience. He says, that was telepathy. Those images were placed in your mind by those people on the craft, who was the aliens on the craft. Now, before we got a chance to expand on that, this lady butted in, this Irish woman had got a, a crystal. She said, oh, Bob, I found this crystal in the forest where there was a UFO. What do you think to it? And Bob being Bob was chatting to her then. And that was the end of my 30 seconds. So he told me that it wasn't an out body experience was images placed him in my mind, telepathy. Well, I didn't take it on board. This is quite some time ago. This is probably 20 years ago. But I put it on the back burner. But what happened after the UFO event, the next day we started to have electrical problems at home with the TV and the video recorder. Um, a clock in a cooker and a kettle and hard drive on my computer went down all on the very next day then after that as well I was now starting to have other experiences only me not the other occupants of the car but I was starting to see other lights in the sky but more importantly I was getting them what I would call definite paranormal activity there were some splats on the head some cracks in the car some whip cracks um I've, and I kept a list of the dates of everything that was going on. And I'll tell you the the most frightening one. I'll go through that one now. Um, basically, I was out fishing. I was standing in a river, enjoying myself. And I heard some footsteps coming across the field towards me. And I know that some fish, uh, some of the farm workers will go down there shooting. So I thought I'll go make myself known. I didn't want them shooting in my direction. So I climbed up the riverbank, but there's no one, no one there, no one at all. But the noise is continuing. And it's four footsteps and it's coming towards me and it's getting louder and louder. And I'm thinking, this is a cat. This is a big cat that somebody's released in the countryside and it's going to come and eat me. And I was panicking. I thought, what am I going to do? And the only thing I could think of doing was getting a spike out of my rod holder that I use for my umbrella. And uh, if it was a big cat, I was going to go back down the riverbank and get it to jump on me and impale it on its own weight as it jumped on top of me. That was my game plan. It's amazing how quick your (laughs) mind is working in these situations. (laughs) So it walked up to me, this thing, and walked in front of me. It could have been no more than three or four feet away, six feet maximum, really loud, four footsteps. And it came from the left and went off to the right. And as it went away, I got a bit braver and started whistling the shouting And I got the pole and started whacking the grass, but nothing came out, but nothing was moving. So I stood down and I thought, that wasn't a cat. And in fact, I realised that whatever it was, wasn't actually here in in this world it was somewhere else like one of these space-time contingencies or something and that was the day Wayne, that i decided i absolutely decided that these ufos are interdimensional and not extraterrestrial because why am i having all these other experiences i had none prior to the ufo but lots of experiences after the ufo and this one this was the only time i've ever been frightened during the whole course of it was when this Invisible creature walked up to me down at the riverbank. So one of the things I couldn't understand is why the other people were not having um, any extra experiences. It was just happening to me. So what happened next was I, I did a, a presentation in Birmingham to a UFO group there, and the leader, Dave Holdren, said to me, He got a report um about guy doing telepathy. These two guys had seen a a spacecraft land in this field. It was a long way off. And they seen the occupants and were watching them from a long distance. But he said, all of a sudden, this face was right in front of him, like it projected it across the field and and scared him. And I thought, well, that's similar experience, but not quite the same, you know, the close viewing. And then out of the blue, this guy in America contacted me uh, from Connecticut. I put his email in the book, but he, he's not spoken to anybody else, just to me. And he started off, his email started off by saying, just like you, I had three images placed in my mind when I had a close encounter with a triangle. He says the first image was um, some pipework on the outside of it. Second image was one, one of the light sources, like a, a plasma ball. And the third image was inside the craft. Now, prior to that, I've been listening to a lot of, uh, Dr. David Jacobs' work on abductees and and what goes on on craft. And, it, and the amount of telepathy comes up all the time. You hear it time and time again. And telepathy as well, sometimes they talk about images being placed in the mind. But, and I'd always thought that telepathy was words going backwards and forwards between people. But then if you give a picture, a picture paints a thousand words. So if you can do a telepathic image rather than telepathic words, you can get a lot more information across. And that was a Eureka moment. When I got that email, I suddenly thought, "Wow, Bud Hopkins was right all along. Those images were placed in my mind. It makes sense now. And that's why only me has gone on to have these other experiences after the UFO event and the other three members of the family haven't because they didn't have images placed in the mind. Then it took some taking on board to realize that I, I may well have had images placed in my mind by aliens Or possibly the craft itself, because I I swear the craft looked like it was organic. It looked like it was alive. It was clearly manufactured. But when people talk about going on board a craft and flying it, they do it with the mind. So, you know, it hasn't got a steering wheel like a normal car would have. So as the craft got some sort of artificial intelligence itself, I don't know. But certainly without those three close views, I would not have been able to have built this model I've got today. So I am convinced that these UFOs are interdimensional because if it had been extraterrestrial, once we'd seen it, I wouldn't have gone on to have these other experiences. But these other experiences have only come prior, after the UFO. There was nothing ever before. So what happened in the book? When people were writing in to me with their experiences, I had to ask them all the time, have you had any paranormal experiences? And more people were saying yes and no, and it just confirmed what I knew. So in the end, I've dedicated a whole chapter to people who have seen UFOs, but also had paranormal experiences. Now, as you touched on earlier, Wayne, you were saying that um, you've had experiences when you were younger, and then you've ended up seeing a UFO. That seems to be the way that the majority of people go. When I read the book, they've all had experiences as ch- children or young adults and it culminates in a, a UFO encounter. I seem to have gone the other way around. I've had the UFO, UFO encounter first and then got on to have the, do the paranormal experiences.
1: Yeah. It doesn't seem to follow any rules as to like what happens first or not, because as far as I know, and Michelle, you can speak to this. You've never had any kind of paranormal encounters or anything like that before our sighting together. We were together, right?
0: Not that I recollect. I mean, it, you know, if I did, it's not anything that I remember. Yeah. So, um, I'm gonna honestly say, no, I don't remember having any sort of paranormal, you know, encounters, you know, and I was the first one who, you know, looked at what we saw that night and questioned whether, you know, when our military got that. So that's where my brain was going. Yeah.
1: So just, To back up to your point about the paranormal activities, and I've talked about this stuff before on our show um, and on our podcast. So briefly what had happened was in 99, my mom had passed away. And so my ex-mother-in-law was a, she could preserve flowers and put them in a nice little enclosure and everything. And so it took months because they would freeze dry the flowers take them apart take pictures of them paint them by hand and then reassemble them and so she took flowers from the funeral from like a little bouquet and put it all together put it in this enclosure which i have sitting in the in the living room over there and so my ex-wife brought it home and so she set it on the counter of our apartment and she's like look and see what my mom had done. So, okay, no problem. So walk over and I'm kind of close to it and I'm looking at it. And all of a sudden I get a smell of my mom died of lung cancer because she was a smoker. And so I get a smell of her cigarette smoke, very specifically her cigarettes. She smoked a very certain kind of cigarette that had a very unique odor And I could smell it. And I backed up really fast away from the counter and the smell was gone. And I looked at my ex and I said, do you smell anything? She's like, no. I said, well, move in closer to this thing and and we'll both do it together and tell me if you smell anything. So we moved in closer and it was like, once we got about a foot away from it, the smell was there. And she looked at me. I looked at her. I said, do you smell that?" She's like, it's your mom's cigarettes. And we backed up and it was gone. So we did it again. So we, I keep on testing this moving in, smell it back up. Like, okay, we go in for like a third time and then it was just gone. So the takeaway that we both had from this was she was there looking at the flowers, you know, observing it, letting us know that she was there. And then She was gone. And then it was probably a few years later, we had moved into a a new house and I was uh, home and sleeping because I was going from a job to college, job to college. And so I was taking a nap. I wake up from the nap because I think I hear my kids running in the hallway of the upstairs by the bedroom. And I roll over and I look and I can see what looks like the shadows of smaller people running down the hallway. But what was weird was I could see the shadows moving. And then it was like a delay of about 30 seconds, maybe 20 seconds before I heard the footfalls. It was really bizarre. So I jump up and I go down the house, down the stairs expecting my kids to be there. And there was nobody there. And, And then in that same house, I had a really really creepy experience that made me leave the house after it happened. So briefly, we had a dog in the house and she was a very kind dog. Um, But I come home from college one day and I come into the house and off to my left was that staircase that I was just talking about that takes you up to the, the bedrooms. But at that staircase, we had a baby gate and that baby gate was basically just laying on the first stair of uh, of the staircase to stop the dog from going up the stairs we just we didn't let dogs up on the second floor around the bedrooms and stuff so okay no big deal i walk in the door i turn around and shut the door and as soon as i turned around and looked back down the hallway that was in front of me going toward the kitchen I can see the head of my dog coming around the corner and looking at me. And the dog is snarling. She's growling at me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And she was a pit bull. I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. This is where they've talked about pit bulls losing their minds and they go after and attack their owners. So I'm like freaked out. I'm like, what's going on, girl? What's the matter? And she comes around the corner a little bit more. And all of her hackles on her back were standing up. And as I looked at her closer, I noticed she wasn't looking at me. She was looking at this baby gate that was laying on that stairway next to the hallway. And I looked down at it and I'm I'm like, "Uh, what's, what's the matter with the baby gate? And as soon as I said something to her, the baby gate lifted up on its edge off of the stair and slid down the hallway at the dog and fell before it hit her, but it fell in the hallway. She yiped and ran away and never made it to her. I saw that. I turned around, went out the door, (laughs) and I was like, I'm just going to go grab something to eat, and just kind (laughs) of left it at that. And, you know, I was like, I'm not going to be in this house. And we found out that that property that we built the house on was a four. There was an older gentleman that lived there that, basically burnt the house down with himself inside of it so yeah and there was like there was a when we brought the kids home when they were babies we had baby monitors and you know i just chalked it up to picking up radio interference or radio waves but we could hear giggling our daughter kind of our middle daughter was giggling and you could hear like an older lady's voice in there hi how are you doing you know And and she would be playing, basically, with this disembodied voice. It's just really weird stuff was happening. But that had to be, I want to say, literally 15 to 20 years ago when all this stuff was taking place.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I noticed with my own um, uh, experiences that after the UFO event, they were coming thick and fast for probably 18 months. But then it started to tail off, and really, over the last 15 years, there's been very little. I've only had one sighting. Uh, that was during the lockdown that we had here about three or four years ago. But it just seemed to have tailed off after the um, initial event. There was a lot at the start. But what is interesting, though, is the amount of other people that are saying the same things. Now, 20-odd 20, 20 years ago, I would not really have spoke about this publicly. A hundred years ago, you'd probably get burnt at the stake for saying these things, you know, are mm-hmm. a witch. But there was a program here in the UK um, just a few nights ago where they were talking about people having UFO encounters were going on to have other experiences afterwards, and they called it the Hitchhiker Effect. Now, I've never heard of that before. So all of a sudden, now I've brought my book out, and I was a bit concerned about some of the things I put in there, what people would think about me. But all of a sudden, it's starting to become mainstream now. And they were talking about... um, they believe these craft are dimensional rather than extraterrestrial. So it's almost like I've written my book in advance of this stuff coming out and I've hit the nail on the head by the looks of it. It's certainly quite quite an amazing um, insight, especially with the amount of people that have come back to me saying they've had ghostly experiences in the past.
1: Yeah. Now, You were talking about images in your head and we kind of touched on the alien telepathy thing. And I was sitting here this morning listening to your book. And I've said this before, as Michelle and I were driving close to this object, this triangle, for me, I thought it was a airliner with its landing lights on getting ready to crash on a pretty large, but nowhere near able to handle how big this craft was you know, going to crash on the road that we were on and we were driving right toward it. Um, As we got closer in my head, I heard a voice and it was really creepy. It, it, It was, I can't say it was my voice. I mean, it could have been, but the emotions and terror that it instilled in me and it said, you don't belong here. Get away. You don't belong here. And immediately I was like, oh, we're, we're getting out of here. And I'm listening to your book this morning and Michelle's sitting next to me and on the alien telepathy thing. And one of the people that sent you their story in your book said almost the exact same thing. I stopped it and I looked over at Michelle. I said, did you hear that? And she's like, yeah, that's crazy. Like it was almost the exact same message. And, uh, and that was right before we went on. And, I, you know, I can't help but think that these things, whatever they are, interdimensional or whatever, are showing themselves to people, putting images in their head, putting thoughts in their head to get, and this is going to sound crazy, this is my personal opinion to get us all together to talk and compare notes about what we're seeing and trying to figure it out. And you were just talking about interdimensional. And we talked some science things before. And right after we saw this and then COVID started and all this good stuff, me and my chemistry teacher at the school I work at, we went back and forth trying to come up with how these things could possibly be flying and the answer we came up with was reducing an object's mass to zero by using cold by dropping and stopping all kinetic energy within a a body to absolute zero would reduce its mass to zero therefore gravity wouldn't have any kind of effect on it And if you can nullify gravity using cold, because a lot of these things show up on radar and infrared as cold, then you can use the movement of earth, which is going around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour as a form of propulsion. If you can turn that on and off, on and off to grab the gravity, you know, and, and slingshot yourself these far distances, my hypothesis is that's exactly what's going on here because now you're showing me condensation off of this craft and when i looked up and thought i was seeing a heat mirage on the body of this thing in 2018 and by the way we had no experience with ufo sci-fi stuff other than popular culture things um I'm wondering if there was a liquid body to it, but I didn't see any interlocking metals like uh, the design on your craft there that people can see right up there. Um, And then it's really funny how you and I have gotten together and have talked before this interview. And we've kind of come to the same, I think kind of close to the same ideas about how this is going.
2: So take it away, sir. Well, what, let's what, let's. What happened to me was um, a good friend of mine sent me a video to to watch on YouTube by a doctor Boaz Almog, and it's all to do with quantum levitation. So what Dr. Boaz Almog did was he got a, a piece of metal basically and put it into liquid nitrogen, got it down to zero degrees Kelvin, took it out and put it in a magnetic field, and it just sat in the air it sat absolutely dead still. Didn't move a thousandth of an inch. It just sat there. And you can see it on the video. And what I noticed about it as well was all the condensation, all the vapour around the metal because it's so cold in our atmosphere. So immediately when I seen that, that took me back to the night of the UFO of when it rose up in front of us. And the fact that we got condensation on the wingtips, I could see it on the left hand wingtip and obviously it was on the tip of the front where the little red light was because I see mist or smoke around that as well. So then, while I I came up with this idea, so for those of you who can see the model, the liquid on the surface that you can see here that was running up and down may may well be something like liquid nitrogen trapped underneath a transparent skin. Now, if these beams that are raised up off the surface actually go down through the skin into the liquid as well, all of these beams are going to be super cool. They're going to be superconductors, top and bottom. Once you get superconductors, as in the uh, video from Dr. Boas Almog, you get what's called quantum levitation. And I believe that is what the craft is using. It's using quantum levitation. And the vaporization we've seen is come because the craft is so cold when it materializes. And like a heat sink on a printed circuit board the heat will always go to the point of least resistance and it's the same with the vaporization on the craft it's going to go to the three wing tips which is why i seen the fluffy and it was a beautiful cloud ever so fluffy and obviously why the little red light underneath at the front had got like vapor around it as well, well that's because it was the front nose that was just tipping down in into view so in the book i've also got um and you see it time and time again that's right that's the vaporization in the corners there the um uh david uh, no sorry michael schwank um i've got one of his drawings in my book uh, which shows a craft covered in like pipes like we like the back of a refrigerator now you do hear this time and time again people saying it's got all these pipes running around the craft like a back of a refrigerator so what i'm assuming happens there is that the liquid nitrogen if that's what they're using is going around the pipes. So all of these pipes become superconductors. So you're getting the same effect as the triangle that I've got. You're basically getting metal beams on the surface to become superconductors and to create quantum levitation. So I think it's the same sort of um, operation that they're doing to get those craft to fly. The tubes, the refrigerated pipes are the same as, serving the same purpose as the beams on, on the craft that we saw that night. I mean that, like you say, we'd give it enough um, to slingshot it around the planet and get it to perhaps to the moon and back. I don't know if it get it like three thousand light years to come here. So is that another indicator that these things are interdimensional rather than extraterrestrial? Because I'm sure that wherever they come from, their dimension. I'm sure they'll be able to use the same mechanics there. You know, I've always said this is a science we don't understand. Now some people might think because this it looks like it's liquid nitrogen and and superconductors and quantum levitation which we already have a knowledge of that it's man-made but i am telling you there's no way this craft is man-made you could tell on the night you could just tell by the way it materialized and also the other paranormal events that i've had Mm -hmm. since that i didn't need those events to confirm it but it actually does confirm it in a way um but yeah that's why one of my theories that um the craft is using superconductors create quantum levitation the only thing that goes against that slightly is in in the book there are two people who have actually touched a triangle and they didn't like freeze the hands to pieces they, they actually managed to touch the underneath of a, a triangle and one of them in fact um, a guy who now lives in new zealand he actually immersed his hand into the nose of a triangle into the liquid he said it was like putting your hand into a tin of paint at the point he did that he said there was a, a fizz and a bang and the, the triangle disappeared from in front of him and he could just see three red lights going away three white lights sorry, going away in a triangular formation so there's two accounts there of people actually touching triangles without actually having any de- detrimental effect to them but i i do think there's something in this quantum levitation business and the the superconductors
1: yeah i was uh researching some of um um is it boaz right
2: yeah 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 his his,
1: yeah his work on um on the superconductors and he would take a disc of sapphire superconductors just of what maybe a micron thin and he would cool it and then put it over a track of of uh magnets and this thing would would sit there and hover, and then obviously it's so cold that any of the moisture in the surrounding air around it is it's just producing clouds constantly. But you can see it just sits in place, and he could change the orientation of it. I saw one group from a uh, college, they made a Mobius strip uh, track, lined it with magnets, and then super cooled one of those disks and put it on top of it and gave it a little... Nudge and the thing would go around the track, flip upside down, go around the other side of the track, come back up, flip. So there it does seem at least with our understanding of science in this, there does seem to be some kind of a trend toward using superconductors and, you know, cooling them so that they uh, repel the magnetic field, which is really fascinating. I mean. And to come up with this stuff is, you know, come on. I mean, where would we come up with this stuff? And I I wonder if Boaz would, uh, if he ever had a sighting or anything and had some of this stuff put into his head about uh, presenting it and things like that. So I don't know. Do you know anything more about his background and work in this? And are we frozen? Let me see. The, the lovely connection across the UK. Once again, Michelle,
0: no. <laughs> I've been over here trying to like wish positive juju. I know. Right. <laughs> you just
1: kind of like keeping your fingers crossed. Come on. The internet's doing okay. But yeah, well, well, uh, Colin, hopefully, can join us. Aha! Here he comes.
0: All right, Hello. Colin. Uh,
2: are you back? Hello, there
0: yep,
2: yep. Hello. <laughs> It's out then for some reason. Yeah one of one of the things I was going to say about the quantum levitation. What I also noticed from that um, Dr. Boazel-Mogg video was it actually did not move, not a thousandth of an inch. Right. And there's a guy in the book called Mel Orton. He had a, an encounter just literally six miles from where we've seen our triangle, and it was two weeks before, which is quite incredible. And what he, did, what he said was it, it was hovering above this field next to the road so he stopped his car at 3am he was on his way to work he got out of his car and he stood next to this huge triangle It got beams on the surface the same as the model that we i've built um and what he said was it did not move a millimeter not a thousandth of an inch it just like it was hanging like a picture hangs on a wall it was like that and it's the same with the video from dr boas Almog. that piece of metal when it's sitting there it's just absolutely sitting there you can move it to another position and it will sit there, but it won't yeah, it's really weird at all. Football pitch triangle was not, not And I think then, you know this okay.
1: Yeah. Um let's see. So with your work and everything and the talking to people, and and now that things are kind of mainstream, did you ever have to deal with a lot of skepticism or criticism from skeptics that don't believe in the triangular UFOs or UFOs in general, and how do you respond to them?
2: Um, The simple answer is no. I've not had any hassle. (laughs) It's been quite incredible. I mean, even people who don't believe it, say they respect my belief. But I've had nobody having a go at me, nobody trolling me, nothing at all, really, no, no. The only thing I ever get, which always annoys me, is people keep shouting TR3B. And, and, you know, whenever you post something on Facebook, they'll go, oh, that's the TR3B. Yeah. Which it is, you know. But but as far as chatting with people, no, it goes down really well. It's getting more and more accepted, actually. The older I get, the easier it becomes to chat to people about it. I mean, in my village now, everybody knows they're calling me the UFO man because I've written a book and it's been in the local newspapers. But, but the response is great. You know, there's nobody taking the Mickey out of me at all, which is it's lovely actually. I've been quite, um, quite warmed by the way people have reacted over the years. To be honest, it's been really good.
1: Yep. So, um, one other question I wanted to ask you as well is. Uh, when when exactly did your book get published? When did it come out? I mean, you wrote it, and then it was released. So- it
2: was released exactly 24 years to the date, the 31st of March, 2023. So it was 31st of March, 1999, when we had the, uh, the encounter. So okay. 24 years to the date was the actual release date. So it's only been out, you know, just a few weeks.
1: Oh, okay. Wow, see, that's amazing because how is, how is our encounter so similar and all of these people having these encounters and now we have connected and talking about this? I think that's one of the whole paranormal sides of this thing is how it gets people. I mean, we had no plans on starting a podcast and now a live show and talking to people
2: about these things at all. I had no major plans on writing a book. I thought about I didn't think I'd actually ever get around to in. I'm not really an author, and I can't spell very well. Yeah. It's a good job we've got spell checkers. <laughs> but uh, I yeah. don't know what's driven me to do it. When I sat down and did it, it was like I was a different person. It's the same as doing these podcasts. I don't look forward to them at all. I get very nervous <laughs> before the start. But once we get so going, do we. You know, it's fine. <laughs> You never know what to expect. That is
1: is true. Um, Well, I guess that makes this next question kind of uh, mute. I was just going to say, are there any new developments or sightings in the field of triangular UFOs you're currently following or interested in? So is there, obviously you're still following this. And we just talked about the superconductors and and supercooled, you know, being able to levitate or quantum locking. But is there anything else that has caught your eye uh,
2: recently that
1: you've been following?
2: Not, not really, no. I'm, I'm getting a lot of people contacting me all the time, you know, with their own sightings. But they're all, you know, very similar. Um, they're, they're none that are actually standing out. There's no uh, aliens being involved. Um, they just generally sightings of triangles that people have had, but the same sort of thing. These are coming from Belgium and France and America, and people are saying the same things. Again, they've had paranormal experiences along the way. You know, this is this is a worldwide phenomenon. That's what amazes me, you know, with that. Well, I suppose I've tried hard, but I've got 130 different encounters. Most of them are close encounters in the book. And that is just, honestly, just scraping the surface. People say, is Hinkley is a hotspot for UFOs? And I go, no, it's not. The only reason we've got all these reports is because of me, because I live here and I've made the effort to collect all the reports and to publish them. Now, if you put a Colin Saunders into every town in the United Kingdom, you'd get the same results, I'm sure. You know, I bet every town's had a 100 triangular sightings over, over the years. You know what I mean? So you take that worldwide, there's thousands, and there's lots in America. To anybody who thinks they're the TR3B, you've got to be crazy. There's just two... Too many variants here. You don't do that when you're building aircraft. It just wouldn't well, work. And
1: not only all of the regulations of flying clandestine aircraft, uh you know, over major populated cities, and not expect yeah. to have a crash of any kind. I mean, how many stealth fighters and stealth bombers during testing and stuff here in the U.S. crashed alone? And you know, it was always just a secret aircraft crash during training today, okay, have one of these 300 foot triangles crash in a major city would probably not be very good at all. But I know Michelle's right. chomping at the bit looking at me here. She's got a question she wants to put out to you.
0: You know, I just want to ask what advice would you give to individuals who have witnessed a triangular UFO sighting or who are interested in researching and investigating UFO sightings themselves?
2: By my book. <laughs> yeah, fair enough now I, I say that because you know um when i had my sighting there was nobody to turn to you know i started phoning the ufo magazine but it was difficult to find people in the mainstream and to find information about what i'd seen and you sort of end up just carrying it yourself with the knowledge which is quite sometimes actually the knowledge of what i'd seen that night was weighing heavy on my shoulders because i couldn't explain to everybody what we'd seen that night I couldn't take out my mind the images and and show you exactly what took place otherwise the whole of the world would be into UFOs now and we might be living in a slightly different way um yeah but by um by writing the book it it, I've learned a lot from the book so if you're new to the subject and you've seen a triangle then if you go through my book it will give you peace of mind you'll know you're not alone you'll know you're not going crazy And especially if you've had some paranormal experiences as well, you'll realise it sort of goes hand in hand. So all of of that is in in the book. And I I wish I could have got a book like that when I had my sighting because it would calm me down. Because I would say, it probably took me two years to sort of calm down from the actual encounter. I was hyper all the time. Because it it is. It's just such a mind-blowing experience. And like I say, I wish I'd have got a book at that particular time and that would have calmed me down. So anybody who's feeling a bit fraught after their experience, then, you yeah, get a copy of the book, read it. It will make you feel a lot lot better. If you want to talk to me, you can do like Send me a message on, on Facebook. I'm always willing to talk, talk to anybody about their, their sighting, no matter how crazy it is as well, because there is some crazy stuff going on out there. And the only other thing I'd say, if anybody has a sighting now, I mean, if I was to have a sighting, because people say, don't, didn't you get a picture? Well, we didn't have camera phones back then. We had mobile phones, but cameras were not quite mainstream. But I believe if you try and take a picture of them, and I, I've done that actually, I did get a camcorder. I was seeing that many things. I, I thought I'd take a camcorder and record some of them. I had this orange ball of light over the park one night. It was incredible. And when I grabbed the camcorder, and I, as soon as I picked it up, I knew what was going to happen. It had gone. As soon as I got back to the window, it had gone. So if you ever do see a triangle, don't try and take a picture of it. Just enjoy the moment. Just look at it and and enjoy the experience. If you try and take a photo, it probably won't turn out. If it does turn out brilliant, people are not going to believe you. they think it's fake. And whilst you're trying to take a photo, more often than not, it's going to clear off. They have this sort of sixth sense, if you like. They know what you're going to do, and they'll be gone just like that. So look at them. Enjoy it. Remember as much as you can about it and then do a report afterwards. Either yeah, that or still, just keep it to yourself, but don't.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I want to bring up this comment right here from a new subscriber, Ray Jones. And uh, he said that your interview on the UFO podcast was off the chain. Probably the best podcast interview he's heard on that podcast. The guy interviewing was perfect. He just let Colin talk flawless. Now I will say Ray, To me and Michelle's defense, especially mine, I don't think the UFO podcast host had an encounter like we did. So if we seem excited and talking a lot and talking with Colin, it's because we have found each other and amazing that there's this book and all of these accounts of triangles just alone from the UK that have really, you know, piqued my interest. And speaking of notes and everything colin michelle and i were asked by mufon we finally were interviewed like a year and a half later once we became friends with bill Konkoleski, who is the state director here of the michigan um mufon organization so they had asked that we write things down and and then get our interview so this was my drawing i'm going to try to put it up here
2: wow yeah
1: of the craft and all my notes And and you can see how I did this here in the body.
2: Is that the cloaking device you you think?
1: Yeah, it it was the heat mirage. And you notice I say, no sound, zero sound, nothing.
2: Yeah. There's a guy local to me had um, a triangle come over his house, and he said it was half cloaked. He could see half the triangle and. The other half was and he, he was quite calm about it. He said um, he thought it was the cloaking mechanism wasn't working very well, whatever the craft was, and uh, he, he didn't think it was man-made. But, yeah, sometimes these uh, clo- cloaking devices perhaps malfunction.
1: So uh, Rick Davis asked, does Colin have a website? I didn't catch it if he gave it. And usually that's a question we ask at the end of the podcast, but we'll just go ahead and put it out there now since Rick has mentioned that um so colin how do no, you know uh,
2: i don't have a website but i don't have a website no um the easiest way to contact me if you wanted to contact me would be through facebook basically through messenger um or they could email i don't particularly want to give me email out in case i get too too many uh, no facebook is good so i use email for work for, for business yeah. but um so
1: facebook for everybody out there if you want to get in touch with colin would probably be the best way to go So, um. Before we start wrapping this up, does anybody got questions out there that they want to ask? I saw a lot of things coming through chat, but I was hyper focused on listening to Colin. So, does anybody? Uh... Well, Rick, I'll tell you what. Since you say you don't use Facebook, you could always email us at the podcast here at mi.ufo.podcast or yeah, at gmail.com, and we can forward things to colin for you um and there's the yeah, good, email yes. up there but does anybody uh want to ask questions before we let him go because we're about at the hour and a half uh mark and i told him we would try to make a hard cut off at hour and a half so
2: well i'd just like to add if anybody is interested in the book it's available on amazon you can Absolutely. The hardback paperback uh, audio book, and also on kindle so you can get have them. From- Amazon.com. Triangle yeah, UFOs it, of the United Kingdom by Collins orders.
1: Yes, sir. It and I have the audiobook and it's very well done. Um, if you get the audiobook, you're gonna be kind of disappointed without being able to see the artwork like from Michael Shratt and the pictures of the models and things like that. So I would advise just get both. All right. So, you can listen to it while you're driving and then come back and look at the images because they are great. Um, Zen, our uh, famous Mr. X, who's in the chat room right now, says, Great book. Yeah, I totally agree. It is a fantastic book, especially if you've had some type of triangular craft experience. Um, hearing all of these other tales and accounts from people. Um, you'll find out that your experience is not that far off. Uh, let's see.
0: Now Wayne was making all sorts of connections. Ray said that he just bought it.
1: Oh, there you go. Yep. So Ray Jones says, <laughs> "I ju- I just bought the book. Awesome. That's great." So anybody else? if yeah, you leave a, a review. Oh yeah, anybody
2: reading the book, definitely, you definitely leave a review. That would be that would be great. Yep, my I have to say, I didn't, I didn't write the book to make money. I wrote the book to put the information out there, basically, and to get my own story out there. I wanted to do that before I got too old, or retire and go fishing all the time instead of uh, concentrating on the UFO enigma.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm not seeing anything come across from our audience right now. But um, once again, people, you can uh, find Colin on Facebook, you can email us here at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com, and I can forward things to Colin. Um, you know, your accounts, if it's a triangular craft or any really UFO, right, Colin?
2: That's right, yes. And I'll talk to anybody about UFOs. I love the subject. It's, it's amazing what's going on. And yeah, you, know, you need to know you're not alone. And no matter how strange an encounter you've had, these things do happen. So it's always nice to talk to, to, talk to a kin of spirit. Oh, um, Jeanette Angel wants
1: to ask, uh, will we find out more about conferences in the UK? Do you have any conferences or
2: appearances coming up? Um, I've not got any conferences myself. There's the Outer Limits magazine conference coming up again this year. Um, Again, you'll find those on on Facebook. It's probably the best place to look for those. The Outer Limits magazine, O-L-M. And um, they put on one of the biggest um, conferences here in the UK. Um, Excellent. So I've not really been a, out on the circuit a great deal, but uh, I'm sure after writing this book, I might be going out and doing a bit more.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, well, one last question that we always ask and, and Michelle's been
0: swinging her arms at me, trying to hit me to get her I to have ask you. So. Not. No, we always ask, do you have any ties to the state of Michigan?
2: No, I don't, no, sorry. None at all whatsoever.
0: Well, you do now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I do now, yes. (laughs) I hope everybody's enjoyed it anyway. All
0: right.
1: Well, Colin, we're going to let you go. And I know it's late getting late over there for you. So um, this has been incredible. We're going to stay in touch. Um, Any new revelations or anything, and you want to come back on the show, you do another writing, you're investigating something anything you want to let us know, we can put a show together and have you come back on and talk. So uh, we'd love to have you back on uh, and we're gonna, Yeah, we're going to, okay. And we'll, we'll talk more behind the scenes too. So, all right. Thank you very much, Colin. I've and, and it's been awesome finally talking to you and being able to meet you and all these people telling me get Colin Saunders on, you got to see this, you got to hear this. So definitely. So it's been great. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Michelle, as well. And for everybody who's listening, thank you for sparing your time. It's been great. Thank you all.
1: Thank you. All right, Michelle, come on. I was going to say. Jump back on.
0: I know. Where are you at? (laughs) Hold on. Wait a minute. There you are. I'm coming. Here I am. (laughs) No, because I know Sammo said, sorry, I had to be at work. No, I'm, I'm home. I just kept my camera off and in the back to save the bandwidth. Yeah. So with all the tech issues, it was like, is it my camera? So, no, I was here.
1: Yeah, she she <laughs> was
0: here hiding in the background. Yep. Uh,
1: keeping an eye on you guys. So, before we sign off, obviously, we want to thank everybody in chat and our moderators, Hellfire, Samo, Gufonian Rockstar from the Gufonian family. Um, so, thank you guys for hanging out. Our new subscribers. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us. It has been a rough technical start, but things calm down there a little bit. And, uh, I think I might know a little bit of the problem that's going on when we do stuff with the UK. So, um, and Streamyard, there's, there's something going on there, but I think I have some ideas and I'm going to write their support team and, and ask them. So, yeah. So man, everybody, you know, thank you for joining us. And, um, If you are interested in helping support the podcast, you know, there's always those links down at the bottom. We've got a Patreon. We've got PayPal. We've got a merchandise store. Just go down into those show descriptions and check it out. So, Michelle, what do you think? Are we done?
0: Have a great Saturday, everyone.
1: Yes, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this early morning, cold, dreary Saturday morning here in Michigan. And we are going to go ahead and take off. So thank you, everybody. Peace out. And we'll see you on the other side.
0: You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.